Today's Bible reading is from Philippians 1, verse 18, 30. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true Christ, is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be as ashamed, but will be sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word. My name's Phil. I'm the associate minister here. It's lovely to have you uh, here with us, especially if you're here for the first time. I do hope you'll be able to stay around afterwards. Do keep Bibles open. We're going to work our way through this fabulous passage in Philippians. I'm going to pray as we do. Father God, please would you work a miracle. We, I want to live for myself. I want a comfortable life. I want things to be easy and happy right now. And yet, Father, you have something better for each and every one of us. And so I pray that you would change my heart, our hearts, so that for each of us tonight, we might be able to say that for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. 
Look, I'm told it is a good thing to have a motto for your life. Our companies all have them, but I'm told that actually having a motto, a personal motto for life is important. It, it has to be um, so because it was a TED talk that said it, and that means it's got to be right. <laughs> but uh, there is something to it, because having a clear motto in life, it does give you a, a sense of purpose and, and just a way of working out decisions. You know, does this fit with my, my direction of life, my motto? And there are lots to, to choose from. I, I looked at uh, here, are, yeah, and they range from the banal. Here are the top three of the sort of banal end. Follow your heart, unless you're a psychopath. It's, uh, somebody has finally worked out that it needed that caveat. Thank you for that. Uh, not that a psychopath's going to listen, but there we go. Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Really, thank you for that. And the pain you feel today is the strength you feel tomorrow, unless you've got kidney stones. I mean, it's just, they are... <laughs> But there are, of course, there are much more serious ones out there. Um, so uh, famously, um, Friedrich Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. It's actually a pretty profound statement. Or Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. Uh, Robert Schuller, you are what you think about all day long. Ouch. Or perhaps most profound of all, do or do not. There is no try. Um, yes. Look, I don't know if he had it tattooed on his arm. I don't know if the Apostle Paul had tattoos. But he lived his life with a very, very clear motto. And we see it in Philippians 1. It was his life motto. It was how he governed his decisions, as we'll see. And to be honest, my aim for the next few minutes is to convince all of us to make it our life motto too. It is that statement in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, the observant among you will notice that Paul's motto here is actually slightly different from what we've seen he said he lives for at the beginning of Philippians in the rest of chapter 1. Uh, we've, we've seen in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, he's got a real passion for the gospel. And his purpose in life is to see the gospel spread. But here, the focus shifts from gospel to Christ. Uh, he goes, if you look at verse 14 to speak about the gospel being preached, and then verse 18, Christ being preached. Because Christ is preached, because of this I rejoice. Now the reason is, no great surprise I suspect to many of you, that actually it's the same thing. The gospel is the message of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that explains, though, it's not a a trite point. It actually explains why it is that this gospel that Paul is devoted to brings him so much joy. Because the purpose at the heart of his life to see the gospel spread, well, this gospel is not, it's not a political movement that he's living for. It's not a business endeavor. It's not a moral code or even a way of salvation. This gospel this purpose at the heart of his life is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. But more than that, the gospel message isn't just words about Jesus, 
as we read the gospel message in the Bible, as we come to, to, to read the words of Jesus Christ, we meet and we can have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. The gospel brings about a real relationship with a real person. And not just any person, but the God who made life and love and beauty and joy and truth. There is nothing so enjoyable in all the world as knowing this Christ. And so Paul is full of joy, as we've seen. He's full of joy because his heart is about the gospel, and the gospel is about Jesus Christ. Now, structurally, the, the verses we're going to look at, 18 to 26, where we'll spend most of our time, they're not straightforward. The, the paragraph begins with Paul's confidence in Christ in the threat of death, and it finishes with his commitment to live for Christ and serve him in all of life. But the bit in the middle, the, the section from 21 to 24, it kind of flip-flops between the, those two things. So basically, the, the, the themes of each verse between 21 and 24 goes life, death, life, death, life which isn't straightforward for, for splitting it up. So what we're going to do is we'll, we'll sort of overlap that middle bit. But we're going to see how these two themes run through in turn. And we will spend most of our time on the first. The first theme is this. Paul rejoices because death means being with Christ, which is better by far. This whole first chunk builds to that sensational, stunning, amazing, breathtaking statement in verse 23, I desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is better by far. Let's see how he gets there. Verse 18, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart, to be with Christ which is better by far. Now it begins with Paul confident that he is going to honour God. He's going to serve the gospel faithfully, whatever happens. Uh, he faces uh, the prospect of enduring a pretty terrifying trial before Caesar with execution, a very real possibility. And he's facing it basically alone. He's been abandoned by most of those who claimed loyalty to him. But as the Philippians pray for him, verse 19... And God answers those prayers with the empowering presence of his Holy Spirit. Where Paul knows he'll have the courage and strength to honor Christ rather than buckle under pressure. Now, I think it's easy to forget. We, we view the Apostle Paul and, and the other apostles as these heroes of the faith. But they were just ordinary flesh and blood like you and me. Paul was not some special forces soldier or an endurance athlete who was well accustomed to going deep in the pain cave. He, he, was, he was an academic, a theologian. He'd become a missionary out of passion for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But he'd made the decision that he would put Christ ahead of everything in this life. And so he has confidence that as they pray for him, he can endure even death. 
Now, what he says next is really interesting. I know that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Really? Well, hang on. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Well, hang on. How can you say, I'm confident that I'm going to be delivered, but I may die? Uh, uh, Really? Well, as the old playground cheat puts it, heads I win, tails you lose. (laughs) That's Paul's attitude to death. He's facing two possible outcomes. So either one, he gets set free, which means, oh, great, he can carry on with his passion in life proclaiming the gospel of Christ all around the world to people who need to hear about forgiveness and eternal life. Or option two, they chop off his head in Rome. But for Paul, that's a win. I mean, look at how he talks about death. To die is gain, gain, profit, win. Death is a win. What kind of a nutter says death is a win? One who knows that at the heart of the gospel is Jesus Christ. He didn't just live an amazing life and die to pay for our sins, but rose from the grave and reigns in heaven. And for all who trust in him, death is not oblivion. You cease to exist or reincarnation. You come back as somebody else. No, death is to go to be with Christ, which is better by far. At my dad's uh, funeral service, memorial service, a couple of weeks ago, his brother prayed. But before he did so, he said, we're going to pray for three people, three groups of people, but the one person we're not going to pray for is my brother, because he's now safe with Christ. Let's pray. It's just wonderful confidence. Because he knew, if you trust in Jesus, death is deliverance. Deliverance from the temptations of life. Deliverance from the suffering, the trials, the disappointments. Deliverance from all that makes life hard down here. The race is done. The victor's crown awaits. Safe with Christ at last. That's why my parents put that verse on my brother's tombstone, with Christ, which is better by far. Because it is. You see, Christ Jesus is everything to Paul. He lives to to see the message of Jesus spread because everybody needs to hear about Jesus. His greatest joy comes from partnering with other people as they do that together. And death means for Paul, it means he goes from speaking about Jesus to living with Jesus, awaiting the resurrection. To live is Christ and to die really is gain. Now, the thing that's easy to miss is that he's not saying, I desire to depart because life sucks. (laughs) You know, it's not that he's just desperate, he's in despair, and he's lost all hope. I have to confess, occasionally, just occasionally, I've felt pretty low and found myself thinking, I really would much rather be with Christ than just carry on. That's more of an insight into quite how self-pitying I can be than that I've actually been through any really desolate experiences. But we kind of imagine Paul in this dank prison cell in Rome, not knowing whether the next change of guards is going to be his execution. And and just, he's just, I just want to be with Jesus. It's all too hard. But that's not what's going on. 
He begins the letter, he writes, I desire to depart to be with Christ. But he begins the letter, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He continues, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. Rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Does that sound like a man who has just lost all hope and given up on life? This is not someone who has found there's nothing to live for. This is a man who is full of joy and hope and contentment, but has found something better than the very best that there is in this world. In other words, he's saying, I'm picking up the keys for buying my first flat with Christ is better by far. I'm engaged, we're getting married in just a few weeks' time with Christ is better by far. I've landed my dream job, uh, my own business, and for the first time we're turning a profit this year with Christ is better by far. We're pregnant, expecting our first child next year with Christ is better by far. The very best that this world has to offer does not compare with Jesus Christ. See, knowing Jesus, it doesn't ruin your taste for the good things in this world, but rather you find the one who gives the good things, the one from whose hand every blessing comes. And you find that the giver is even better than the gifts. You see, for the Christian to die is to be with Christ. With Christ who gave new life to dead Lazarus, who gave new eyes to blind Bartimaeus, who gave a new generous heart to greedy Zacchaeus, who flooded a wedding with fine wine in Cana and emptied a poor man of a legion of evil spirits that afflicted him who gave a woman at the well the satisfaction her soul had been craving all her life, and who forgave his friend Peter an unforgivable betrayal. Not until Jesus returns and remakes the world will we enjoy the full beauty and joy of the new creation but if we die before then trusting in Jesus, we go to be with this Christ, and it is better by far. Now, often I don't think we really work out what we believe about death until we're confronted with it personally, perhaps our own cancer diagnosis or, or the death of a close relative we love. It may be that COVID and the daily discussion of death rates has has raised it in consciousness for many of us in a new way. But the foundation of the Christian life is grasping that Jesus Christ has conquered death. And if you trust in him, to die is to be with him, which is better by far. 
Paul rejoices because death means being with Christ, which is better by far. And then secondly, Paul rejoices because life means serving Christ's people, which is better for them. You heard the phrase, uh, so heavenly minded as to be of no earthly use. Maybe there's a little something in it. But history actually tells us it's precisely those men and women who thought most of heaven, who did most for people here on earth. Um, Just in our own country, think of the Earl of Shaftesbury, just up the road, Elizabeth Fry, William Wilberforce, Hannah Moore, who because they were convinced that to live is Christ and to die is gain, transformed conditions for the poor, fought to destroy the African slave trade, helped ensure that prisons were places of reform and not just punishment, and triumphed to give education as a right for all children, not just the few. And the truth, as Paul demonstrates in these verses, is that a clear, robust, confident hope of eternal life with Jesus, it frees you from an obsessive pursuit of of worldly pleasure to, to serve and make a difference. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Now, given what Paul knows of how good it will be to be with Jesus in heaven, why on earth would he stay? What on earth could convince him that he wants to stay here on earth? Well, to help other people share in that glorious future in Jesus. Sharing the gospel with people who don't even know Jesus yet and face an eternity cut off from God and and deepening a knowledge of the gospel for others so that they move from, from just knowing they're saved, to becoming disciple-makers themselves. Now, the thought process is really revealing, though. Look with me. When he says in verse 22, I do not know, it's a, the word he uses is a word he always uses in all the letters that Paul writes. For it, It's a word that's it's about whether God has actually revealed something to him. He's basically saying, look, God hasn't told me what's going to happen, what I should do. So it's down to me to work it out. So what does he do? Well, he, he does the modern thing. He looks into his own heart. And what he sees is, well, if I look into my own heart, my deepest desire is to be with Christ, which is better by far. But his own desires are not the heaviest weight in the balance. Verse 24, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. There will be more joy, he says, for more people if he stays to help the Philippians. Paul won't only have the the joy of him knowing Christ Jesus himself. He'll have the joy of knowing that there's a whole church load of other people whose boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on behalf of me. He will be more confident, more delighted, more glorying in Christ Jesus because Paul has helped them make progress. I hope you can see what Paul is saying here. He's saying there is more joy for more people if you serve others than if you just do what you want to do and live your own desires. The great secret of life is that the deepest joys actually come through opening your heart and committing to other people. 
It's very countercultural, but self-fulfillment is not the way to true fulfillment. We'll all find that eventually. Better to learn it now. Just, it, it is worth it. It is worth it to commit to lead a discipleship group or to commit to meet one-to-one to read the Bible with a, with a young student. It is worth it to help with Sunday school. It's worth it to serve on the music team or the sound desk or to help with the welcome. It's a commitment. It's a hassle. It cuts down on my freedom. But as we help others come to hear about Jesus and grow deeper in their knowledge and love for him, we'll find a deeper joy than the joy we get from just doing what I want. And that's just a pale shadow of the delight we'll know when Jesus returns and we celebrate with them in glory. See, when you share Paul's longing to be with Christ, you'll be free to make decisions now that serve Christ and other people. That's true freedom. Because you don't worry about missing out because you know what is to come is so much better. And so you're free to commit to other people. Free to make career decisions now that are shaped by, okay, well, how will it, how will it help the gospel? How will it help me be better at sharing the gospel and, and making disciples rather than how will it serve my ambition to get ahead? Free to give money to the gospel, not just spend it on me. Free to be open about letting people know I'm a Christian at a new job or new university because actually... Knowing Christ is more important to me, better than being popular. Well, the last verses, the last verses, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of in steadfast unity. They're a call to the church in Philippi to follow Paul's example. We won't go into great detail, but you'll see that they, he basically says, he's told them what it looks like to live as someone for whom to live as Christ and to die as gain. And now he tells them to do the same thing. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now the focus is being united and steadfast in the face of opposition. Uh, Paul got beaten by the, the authorities when he was in Philippi, and he's saying, you're sharing that same experience. Not necessarily they're being beaten and imprisoned, but that they're facing some sort of official sanction, official trouble for following Christ in Philippi. But actually, in our last few minutes, I want to focus on the striking image in verse 29, which shows that if you grasp that to live is Christ and to die is gain, even the experience of suffering is utterly transformed. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So imagine it's uh, Christmas morning and you come downstairs and you know what the presents are because no one gives a Christmas list. You just send a link to the Amazon page for the thing you want. That's what we all do, isn't it now? Why take the risk with something as important as a present? Here's what I want. Ding. It 
guarantees no disappointment on Christmas morning. Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, the joy of Christmas. Uh, what it must be like to be a child again. But there we go. There, that's the way we live. But then you find there is one present you don't recognize under the tree. Ooh, interesting. And you turn over the gift tag, and this neatly wrapped present says, A gift of my generous grace because I love you. Signed, Almighty God. Well, that's nice. So you open it. What what could be in it? And there inside it, it says, this year, you're going to be mocked by your family, rejected by some of your friends, and you're going to miss out on a promotion. You may even be sacked and all just because you follow Jesus Christ. Love God. Yeah. um, There's one for eBay. (laughs) uh, If anybody would buy it. Verse 29, when it says it has been granted you, that's the word for a gift of God's grace. It has been graced to you. Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Suffering is not just the privilege of the great apostles and leaders. It's it's actually the pattern for all who trust in Jesus. Suffering is not good or enjoyable. It's horrible. But suffering for Christ is a privilege. And a measure of suffering for Christ is the calling of every Christian. It is the gift of God because it's a sign we're walking in Jesus' footsteps. It's a sign that just as we share in a measure of his earthly rejection and suffering, so we will share in his eternal joy. Suffering is, well, it's is the bond of experience that unites us to Jesus on earth when we suffer for him. And suffering is the runway that leads us to him in heaven. And when you have a deep relation, a deep knowledge of Jesus, a relational knowledge, when you really have grasped something of what it is to be able to say, with Christ would be better by far, then even the experience of suffering is transformed. I mean, no sane Christian is, yay, your relatives die. That's just, that would just be perverse. I've been sacked, I've been dumped. No one feels like that. Oh, great, I've been imprisoned for being a Christian. But even in suffering, there is joy. When you understand suffering, draws us closer to Christ. And his suffering led to his glory and our suffering will lead to our glory. Suffering brings us to Jesus. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's the motto of Paul, the man whose life is marked by joy. Not stoicism, but joy. And at the risk of sounding trite, it means that the path to more joy is more of Christ. Okay, well, I'm a Christian. I know Christ. I don't feel like that. What do I do? Well, join the club. (laughs) But the answer is not to turn back or turn to other things. The answer is to press on. More joy is more Christ. I mean, imagine you're lost in the desert after three days, almost going out of your mind with thirst. You're so thirsty that you come across an old can with engine oil and you drink, and it's disgusting. It makes you feel a thousand times worse. It's so disgusting, you lick sand and mud to get the the taste of the engine oil out of your mouth. And 
And then you see an oasis, an oasis of clear water, and, and there's a cup next to it. Oh, after three days. and You know what? It's actually not going to taste very nice because you've got so much mud and oil and sand in your mouth that it's going to taste pretty grotty. But you don't think, oh, that doesn't taste nice. Walk on. The answer is you just need to drink a whole lot more to wash the crud and the filth away until the taste for the water returns. That's not a perfect illustration, but as Christians, sometimes we don't fully enjoy Jesus because there's so much mud and crud in our hearts. We can't really taste him. But the more deeply we drink of Jesus, the living water, over time, the more our souls will find the satisfaction that we were made for. So press on to know him more as you read his word, as you, as you pray on your own in relationship with him and in partnership with others as we gather in church on Sunday and in small groups. Make it a priority because you want joy and you love others. Make it a priority to be at church, to be at small group. Do it for your own joy and do it for their good. Because the more we know and love Jesus, the more we will know that to be with Christ is better by far. And the more we'll know the freedom and the joy that comes of saying, my life is about this one thing, to live as Christ and to die as gain. That is the best way to live. Let me pray. Our Father God, we, we thank you that you, you don't just tell us to, to live this way, but you have shown it to us. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we see a life lived for your glory. We see that suffering leads to eternal rest. And so we pray that you would help us to press on deeper into our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know that he is worthy that he is satisfaction, that he is lasting joy. Help us to know that with Christ is better by far, and so live for Christ, confident that to die is gain. Help us, we pray, to see clearly that we might live this way. Amen.